Hi, welcome to The Gathering Podcast. The Gathering is the young adult service that meets at Cottonwood Creek Church in Allen, Texas on Monday nights. You can connect with us by texting GATHERING to 77978. That's GATHERING to 77978. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, you guys can take a seat. Uh, My name is Jet Gordon. If you haven't had the chance to meet me or I haven't had the chance to meet you, um, I would love to get to know you afterwards, uh, so come up and say hi, and we can get to know each other. I am one of the youth ministers here at the church at Cottonwood, and so Sloan, like he asked JD a couple weeks ago, asked me to kind of fill in for him. He is on yet another uh, vacation, but I'm not sure he's doing much uh, fun. From my understanding, he's working on his doctoral homework, so he's doing workcation. I don't know. He's up in Colorado. Um, so him and I have somewhat switched places. I am originally from Colorado. It's my home state, born and raised there, and then moved down to Texas a couple of years ago, and I have stayed. So him and I are switching. Obviously, he is usually the guy here. Now I am, and he is up in my home state. But I am excited to get to just teach y'all uh, and share a little bit more about worship. We're kind of in this informal series. The past couple of weeks, we've been talking about worship And it started, I'll recap a little bit, with JD talking about what worship is, how it's something that we were actually created to do from the get-go. It was in God's plan of us singing praises, us giving worship in our lives to him. And that's something that we should actually do in not, not just our private lives, not just our personal lives, but also in our corporate lives, in this large scale group, and especially in the body of Christ, in our church community. And so... That is what J.D. covered. Then Sloan kind of came in and reinforced that and gave the idea of worshiping in spirit and in truth. And he talked a little bit about the woman at the well in John 4 and how at the end of the day, man, we should be living out the gospel as a way of worship and how that can be a way where we exemplify not only in our words but in our actions as well what we actually believe and how we want to worship people or worship God in that way through loving people. So, With that all being said, I am going to kind of peel back a layer and ask a couple of questions that are almost a little more fundamental about worship. And I think they're they're worth the time to ask. It's the idea of why is it that we worship? I think we do a lot of things today without ever wondering why we do them. Uh, Like I can't tell you the amount of times I'll pull out my phone and it's like I swear I was going to do something and I just look at the time and then I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll put it back in my pocket. And like 30 seconds later, I pull it out again. And I'm like, why did I just do that? And we do all these sorts of things without really taking time to realize what's our thought process behind it. What is making us make these decisions? And so worship is something I believe is important enough, is pivotal enough in our spiritual lives that we should know. We should have an understanding of our reasoning behind doing this activity. And then I think ultimately that is going to lead to us asking, who is it that we are worshiping? And we will get to that when we get to it. But to start, why are we worshiping? Why is it that we worship? And I'm going to give you like the real simple answer here, and then we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Man, the Bible gives us like a bajillion examples of worshiping, of singing praises to God. And they're found all throughout the Psalms. They're found in the Old Testament. They're found in the New Testament. People singing praises, singing glory to God, worshiping him. And at the end of the day, we want to look to the scriptures and we want to see them as the example for how we live our lives. And so why are we worshiping? 
Literally, the Bible tells us so. And so to kind of drive this point home, I think you'll catch it really quick. I'm going to read a little bit out of Psalm 150, um, and I think you'll pick it up pretty obvious what is being said. If it comes up on the screen, you can see it. And it says, just simply, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so I don't think I've said the word praise that many times in my life until right now. But you get the point. Essentially, we are meant to worship. We are seen in this passage, and this is one of many in the Psalms, where we just want to praise. We are encouraged to praise and to give the Lord our worship literally whenever, however, it's pushed out um, just as an overflow. And we can see it again in another passage of the Old Testament in Isaiah 12. And it says this, Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. And so I say these things uh, not as a joke, but obviously the whole because the Bible tells you to do so isn't the most compelling argument. We want to be really inspired by why are we worshiping? Because think about when you were a kid and your mom tells you to like, hey, go clean your room. And you're like, why? And what does she say? You're like, because I said so, yeah. And that's never, never fun to hear. And it never, surely never makes you want to do the task more. And so I don't want to just come up here and say, hey, the Bible tells you to do this, so go do it. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. But I think when we stop at that point, and often we do stop at that point, we think, okay, we're worshiping. It's part of the service. Like, we always do it when we come to church. Like, that's just... Just what happens? We worship. And that's almost equivalent to us saying, okay, because the Bible says so, I'm just going to do it. And when it stops there, I think we can actually have a real disconnect, a real shift in what we bring to our worship. And that can look different for different people. It can look different in different seasons of your lives. You can come to worship and you can feel angry and feel like, I don't want to worship. You can feel confused and I don't understand what's going on. You can feel disinterested or upset. And maybe you just come and you're looking at the lyrics on the screen and you're just reading them and you're like, man, I'm just, I'm not feeling it today. Uh, like I've had a rough day or I know I've got a rough day coming. Like I can't be here. I can't be present. And that's all you can think about. And when we come into a presence of worship, into a time of worship, with the idea that, hey, this is just something we do. This is just part of the programming. This is just what happens. The Bible says we do it, so we do it. When we come in with that ideology, then so many things can get in the way, and so many things can stop us from truly experiencing what worship is and what it can bring to the table. And so I kind of think we need to break it down even a little bit more. And I think about the song that we actually just sang. And I had texted JD about it the other night, talking about like, hey, I think this really goes well with the message uh, that I'm wanting to bring. And the song, like, I just want you. That's what we're singing. Like, I just want Jesus. Nothing else. And that's what we're saying. That's what we're proclaiming is the idea of, I am exclusively in this for Christ. I just want Jesus. And often that can be how a lot of our worship songs are today. And I don't think that's necessarily a good or a bad thing. I actually think it's a really beautiful sentiment of that we really 
don't need anything else. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anything in this world is so meaningless without Christ. But when we stop there at that big grand scale, we really don't understand it. There's still that disconnect. And it's like, yes, God is good. God is great. Praise God. I just want Jesus. But man, when we don't understand why we're saying that, and we just say those big statements, then they feel pretty empty. They feel pretty hollow. And so the way I can best kind of describe this is I'm a movie guy, just to let you know a little bit about me. Big movie buff. Um, I'll try to like make all references that I think the normal average Joe could understand. But when you're talking movies, just in your friend group or with family, whatever, you're talking movies, and you want to be like, okay, this is my favorite movie, or this is the best of this genre, best comedy movie, or it's better than all the rest, and you make those claims, there's a reason you say that. You have your opinions, but not just because you woke up one day and decided, oh, I'm just going to be the fanboy. So like for me, clearly I'm a young male who obviously is going to love The Dark Knight. I mean, tell me I'm wrong. Um, but I would say The Dark Knight, because I love superheroes. I think it's a great movie. It's just my example. For the girls, if that doesn't resonate with you, maybe it's 10 Things I Hate About You or uh, The Notebook or something like that. And I love those movies too. I actually won't lie. But you think of your favorite movie, whatever it is, and you have reasons for enjoying that. And for me, like, I think of The Dark Knight when I tell someone, man, that movie's the best. <laughs> like, that movie's great. I can say that and stop there, and the point still stands. But it's not really convincing. It doesn't really spur anyone to agree with me. But when I go into the detail and someone asks me, well, why? Why do you think that? Why is it the best? Why is it better? And I can say, man, it's the cinematography, or I think the characters are really well written, or it's got really neat symbolism, and I think it's interesting and introspective, whatever, X, Y, Z. You can explain it for whatever your movie is that you're thinking right now. There's reasonings. You have opinions based off of what you believe. It's not just your favorite movie because you woke up and decided, I like The Dark Knight today. I'm going to go tell someone it's the best of all time for no reason. You know, you are, you are actually inspired by the qualities, by the details and intricacies of that movie. And so, to zoom way back out, I fear that we approach worship in the same way. And we often stop before discussing the intricacies. And we just say, man, God's the best. God's the greatest. Jesus, love him. He's all I want. And then we stop. And it, we don't think about what we actually believe, why we actually believe that. Why is Jesus all that we want? Why is God so good? And that's what I actually want to encourage us to dive into today, and, and honestly for the rest of our lives here, is I want us to not stop at the surface level of our worship, but I want us to dig deeper to find the why, and the why then points to the who. And so Jesus actually points a little bit to this. Uh, in Matthew 22, he encourages referencing back to the Old Testament. He encourages us, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And it's a very popular verse. I'm sure you've probably heard it before. And it's referring to Moses talking to the Israelites in the Old Testament when he has just given them the Ten Commandments, and then he essentially summarizes them, and he says, okay, we have the Ten Commandments, we know how to follow God, but at the end of the day, I want you, and he says in Deuteronomy 6.5, he says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. 
And so it's these ideas of like, it's everything we've got. But then Jesus added in that Matthew 22 verse, he said, with all your mind. He specifically added an intellectual element to how we should love God and how we should reflect our love to God. And Peter actually talks about this as well to the early church, just to give you guys another example. In 2 Peter 3.18, he encourages the early church and he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. And so he's literally encouraging us. He says, go and find out more about this person we're worshiping. Grow in your knowledge of Jesus. And that's something that I think it's lost a lot today. And it's something that we should spend more time on in order to benefit our worship when we come together. And so kind of going back to what I was saying, we get used to these really big sayings about God. God holds the universe in his hands. He created the heavens and the earth. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And these things are all true and they're all awesome, but they can really distract us from the point, not distract, they can really take up the obvious space and then we forget that God is a God of detail as well. He's a God of intricacies. And I'm going to read a little bit of a passage. Again, I think you'll get the point pretty quick. In Exodus 25, God is talking about building the tabernacle. And if any of you guys have read the Bible all the way through, this is like part of the portion where you maybe zone out a little bit because it feels like you're reading an instruction manual. But that's the point. I want us to see God is really specific. He cares exactly what is going on. And so he is speaking here. This is God's instruction in Exodus 25. He says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. I'll read it on here. I'll dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so that you shall make it. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside you should overlay it, and you should make a molding of gold around it. You should cast four rings of gold for it, put them on its four feet, two rings on one side and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them in gold. And you should put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall, be put, in, and you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. And so this literally, when I hear, like, read and hear this, I think of going to Home Depot and like, okay, this is my materials list. I need acacia wood. I need gold. I'm going to need it this cubit's long. And cubit is like, I think, 18 inches. So he's like, okay, I'm going to need like 42 inches by 29 inches by 29 inches. Like God is giving the instruction manual here of how to build the tabernacle. This was the Old Testament way of how to worship, how to encounter the Lord. And so in our modern day context, I don't want this to get lost on us. I don't want us to just think that we can just come to the Lord and we say, man, God is good. Amen. Amen. While that's true, man, wouldn't it be so awesome if we come to the Lord and we could say, man, God, I know that you have made me so intricately. You know the hairs on my head. Lord, you formed me in the womb. You know my every thought. You foresee my path. You make my steps before me. We know these intricacies about God who knows the intricacies about us. And we can see that in these details, we can love and please the Lord in our worship. And so I want to give you guys 
Uh, by the way, that Exodus 25, little, that was like a small excerpt of what actually goes on. Like that list goes on for a long time, and God talks about a cover to be built for the ark, and a table, and a lampstand. Like, it's big. Like, there are details, people. Um, but I want to give you guys a couple of practicals, because I know I say all this, and you're like, okay, I'm still going to show up next Monday and just worship the same. Um, so I, wanted, I want us to give us some tools here to change how we actually view our worship. And the first one is going to be as simple as spending time in the Word. And I know this is like the most churchy answer you could get, um, but man, it is, it is for real the most life-changing. Um, so God's intricacies, they should genuinely inspire us to know Him more. And God has revealed Himself in this book, in this text. And so when we want to listen to God, when you want to get to know someone, what do you do? You talk to them. And so wanting to get to know the Lord and know him in a new, deeper, more detailed and intricate way, we need to spend time in his word. We need to read his word to understand him, hear his language to us so that we can know how to better worship him. And that feeds directly into the second point, which I want you guys to spend time in prayer. And this is kind of a tricky one because often a lot of people do pray. You pray before your meals, you know, you like bless the food, you pray before you go to bed, whatever. You can check that box really easy. But I think praying specifically for knowledge and wisdom after reading the scriptures can be so transformative. We can see in, in James 1.5, God literally tells us that if we pray for wisdom, he'll give it to us. It's kind of a crazy promise. He says, it's right here, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And I mean, that is something that we all desperately need. When we read a truly foreign language, when we read the language of God, something that we can't understand on our own, we have to ask for wisdom, have to ask for understanding in order to interpret it. And so spend time in prayer, man. Speak back to God. We read the word, he speaks to us, and then reflect back and speak to him. And then that is going to practically change into our third step, my third point, which is just to spend time in worship. And this is kind of the practice makes perfect element here. We think about worship elements, and we think about how to get better, how to have deeper, richer worship. Well, man, you need to worship in order to experience deeper worship. And whether that's you're turning on Air One in the radio in your car, or you've got a fire worship playlist, or you're just coming here on Monday nights or Sunday mornings, whatever your environment for worship is, personal or corporate, like J.D. was talking about, you want to be doing that in spirit and in truth, like Sloan was talking about. But you want to be doing that after you've now spent time in the Word and you've spent time in prayer. You are discovering more about God so that when you come to the Lord in worship, you can go back and say things like, God, you are so good. Jesus, all I want is you. But instead of just saying those things, it's not you just saying, oh, that's the best movie ever. But you know in your heart that you're saying, Jesus, all I want is you because the world has fallen. You have said that you will save me. You'll pull me out of the muck and grime of the world. And you know the intricacies of his plan. You know the intricacies and the details of his mercy and his love. And you can reveal more and more and more, truly daily, about the Lord in order to deepen and enrich your guys' worship. And so I'll revisit the uh, Isaiah 12 verse I, sent, or I spoke to you guys a little bit earlier. And it's something that 
when you read it on the surface level, it is one of those big God statements. But man, knowing God richer, deeper, fuller, we can see this and we can join. We can join wholeheartedly and earnestly knowing that we can worship him fully in it. And so Isaiah 12 again says, Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. So I'm going to pray, but man, I want to encourage you guys as you look to future times of worship, whether that's going to church every week or whether that's coming here on Monday nights or singing in your car or your personal time of prayer and reflection at morning or at night, whatever that environment is, I want to encourage you guys to dig deeper, to ask yourselves the why. The why am I worshiping? Why is it that I am drawn to this attribute of God and find more about him to be revealed in the text, to be revealed in your prayer, and then to be poured out again in worship. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the revealed word that you have given us. God, you have truly expressed yourself in ways that we can't understand uh, and that we will never fully understand until we are with you in heaven one day. But God, we praise you for that, that we can continually be searching, Lord, continually be on our quest to know more of you, to know more about you, and to just to be filled by your spirit, Lord, in order to pour back out the overflow of our hearts in worship. God, we thank you for all that you do, and more importantly, Lord, all that you are. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Gathering Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to get connected with us, text GATHERING to 77978 or follow us on Instagram at cottonwood underscore YA. That's cottonwood underscore YA. We'll see you next time.